Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsack. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is The Mandalorian Report. This is the way to listen to us talk about The Mandalorian, but specifically Disney Gallery colon The Mandalorian colon cast. This is the episode of our podcast where we're going to talk about the episode of the behind-the-scenes show where they talk with some members of the cast of Mandalorian. I'm excited to dig in. How about you, Ken? 
I am really excited to dig in. You know, for the Clone Wars report, we always did that, uh, me doing a bad news reel sound. I was like, do we do something for that for this? And I realized I don't have the musical talent to even fake whistle the Mando <laughs> themes that Mark McCarson <laughs> is so talented and put out in the world. I like, I couldn't even begin to parody that. Yeah, I could maybe put some dimes in a bag and shake them to try to sound like Spurs, maybe? Like, that's the closest I can get to a Western is some dimes in a bag. Yeah. And speaking of Westerns, wow, that pops up a few times here this week in, in little subtle ways and big ways. You know, Joseph, I, when we talked about doing this, uh, the, the this we knew the series was coming up, eight episodes. It just got like, hey, let's 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 dive into this. And I think we did that with a little bit of Star Wars faith of like, all right, are, are we... Are we going, are we, is it too much to break down eight episodes of a behind the scenes show? Are we, are we going one too many on the podcast? <laughs> and I gotta tell you, each week, something big and deep comes out of these shows. And I'm, I'm so glad we're, we're discussing them. Yeah. I'm really, really delighted and surprised. I tweeted a joke, uh, but I meant it that I needed to stay up to midnight. So I did not get spoilers for a behind the scenes show about a show I already watched. And to me, that's representative of how, uh, surprising and great this has been. I was with you. I thought it would be like, ooh, maybe Filoni will say one little thing or there'll be some behind the scenes uh, still that really reveals something and we'll really dig into that. But the, just the general scope of how much uh, of the process, the ideas, the humanity of all of the people involved has been really rewarding and surprising. Absolutely. And you know what? The big superstar, there's a lot of superstars emerging right now. Carl Weathers. Oh, boy. <laughs> we can talk about Carl Weathers. Uh, overall thoughts on this episode, cast, what it made you think going in and and, and uh, what you felt coming out of it, Joseph? Yeah, I think my number one main reaction after watching it for the first time, you know, 1230 at night was just I would like all three of these actors who are interviewed to be my best friend. They were all so damn likable they were also honestly themselves and and it really did feel like they captured moments of genuine emotional surprise from one another uh, which of course we'll talk about but you know Gina Carano really opening up about herself and then also just really putting in perspective what a legend Carl Weathers was to her to the point of him getting to that good lord uh <laughs> and Pedro Pascal has always been extremely charming but i think i have mostly been exposed to him a little bit of uh behind the scenes stuff but mm -hmm. a, a lot of him has been that like he's been a little bit cast in my mind from honestly seeming seeing him on game of thrones yeah and just seeing him as the human being who has such a sense of uh, a specific sense of humor uh mm -hmm. and kind of uh, a little bit of self-deprecating humor in particular yeah Th that was my main reaction uh, overall to the episode is that they were all three of them were just so damn charming and honest. Yeah. There were some great, great revelations, great moments we're going to talk about there. And yeah, my, your, my thoughts exactly on Pedro. I, I, I'm such a fan of game of Thrones. I'm such a fan of Oberyn Martell. And I, 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 I'm blown away still sometimes when I go back and watch some of his stuff. And then it's like, you see him and even, even Grace who knows the insides and outs of this business as you do. And as I do too, Joseph, but she's, she's in it. She's, she's an actor. She's auditioning. She's, a, she's like, that's his, that's his voice. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, and he's so good and he's so charming and you're right. I'm always down for some good self deprecating humor. And he uh, really had it there. Um, uh, what, um, any any big uh, revelations or small revelations into the production? Uh, we 
always get some clips of behind the scenes stuff and what they did. Uh, anything grab me? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I just a, a small thing that they didn't talk about, but was just like we keep getting this behind the scenes footage and you just see technically how something was done. There were those shots of IG-11 working on the injured Mando, mm-hmm. Din Djarin, um, and then just seeing IG-11's different uh, appendages stuck into frame with no real logic to how they attach to his body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, I really enjoyed seeing that. of like, oh, we'll just stick this, uh, this uh, arm into frame uh, was great. And then obviously we're going to talk about it, uh, but it wasn't really a revelation, but I, I was really happy to see how uh, clearly they communicated about who the different uh, performers creating yeah. Mando were. So that was not a revelation, but I think in a, a revelation that they were going to be very upfront about it at this point in the process. Yeah, I think they had to, and and there and we're gonna get there's some there's some slightly awkward moments, especially if you're reading faces uh, and Pedro there that come up. But I'm very happy that they uh, got into that there, and and along that um, one of my favorite little uh, along that path there, one of my favorite little insights is the first toy of the child we now see it was a pillow <laughs> yes for Pedro Pascal to be in the booth the first time I was like why is he holding a pillow oh god that's baby Yoda which then makes it awkward that there's that scene of him screaming into the pillow yeah. like don't scream at the baby so I love those little things there and the great show I actually did a I did a freeze frame. I was just like, yep, there it is. He had a binder with all eight episodes of dialogue uh, and, and to see kind of when, uh, you know, to see an edited, basically an edited show in front of him, uh, just a little insight into the, to the process of, of, of bringing him into the Manda. So interesting stuff there, but let's dive in because Pedro Pascal started us out, Joseph, by talking about the need for relationships and characters in these stories. And then he, he goes on to say, uh, you know, taking chances and risks uh, is, is going to get you to the reward of achieving new things. And that that kind of struck me right up, right up top then of just like, we're so familiar with these characters and these are these tropes and these bounty hunters and smugglers and warriors, uh, Jedi, even mystical forces, all these kind of things. And in Star Wars, we, we talk about the poetry. We talk about always needing that kind of familiarity with the world, but you've got to stretch it into new ways. And I just... I really loved how he just directly said, you got to take those risks risks to achieve new things within this Star Wars world there. So did that strike you at all too, Joseph? Absolutely. I thought it was a a great idea by itself. And I think it set the tone for this episode, specifically that it it was clear that uh, Filoni and Favreau had really communicated and discussed things with the actors. Like sometimes when you see actors talk about behind the scenes things it's kind of just their personal process and everyone seemed really in sync like everybody had really discussed what is this all about so to start with pedro pascal saying here's my take but it's clearly a take that's informed not just by my experience doing this but by the big picture thing uh and then it really did make me think about well what are those risks you know yeah, what what risk and new things uh, did you like most in this series? Especially now, this this behind the scenes series has really given us the opportunity to look back at the show that just wrapped up not a short while ago, uh, just a short while ago. But just to look back and, and really have some uh, time to focus on what was there. So, um, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, what were your, some of your favorite risks? Yeah, I was thinking. I think because Pedro Pascal said it, the old 
kind of Hollywood adage that has become a joke of never work with kids or animals in realizing that's kind of what the Mandalorian is doing. The entire show is, is working with the child who is a kid, yeah. uh, a very, a very cute, uh, not an animal, but a very cute non-human thing that did kind of steal the show. So I felt like, well, that's, that's kind of a risk in a way of, of challenging the never work with kids or animals. Uh, and everybody was upstaged, uh, by a cute, uh, puppet. Uh, but then in, in terms of just what the show is and how it fits into, into Star Wars and specifically modern storytelling, I think a lot of what they talked about in this episode, the fact that the main character is masked and the fact that the delivery of the overall story is uh, very slow and purposeful and you only get the information that you absolutely need and you are asked to infer everything else and mm. that it was broken up in these specific chunks where each chapter did have a little bit of a beginning, middle, and end, but they were very much chapters. And after each week, it did leave us wondering not only what's going to happen ne next week, but it, it took toward the end of the show for a lot of us to go, what is this? Because is it going to be all one story that's broken up into pieces? Or is it going to be an episode of the week adventure show? What is this? And the fact that they were just like, it's kind of, it's, kind of somewhere in between and we're just going to tell that story the way we want to tell it i think was a risk in terms of modern storytelling on television yeah you are kind of in the we're, we're in the same area because i keep going to episode two and that feeling i had after watching it where it wasn't even of a a did i like it um uh, or do i like it? it was just like wow this is what this is because that episode two is so beautiful to me and it takes its own time and star wars is supposed to be breakneck and it is supposed to be a serial adventure and then and then uh you know uh, the obstacles of the i uh, got overcome and this is that this show is that on its own pace and that was a big risk especially with the expectations you can't do anything about the expectations but everyone's like, oh, this is going to be Star Wars' Game of Thrones. This is going to be this. And we all have these things that we compare it to. And this thing just said, no, sit back, have a drink from Chalman's Cantina, and let this story flow out. We're going to take this scoundrel, this bounty hunter type, and we're going to slowly un unravel the layers to his personality and those around him. I was like, wow, that 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 really sinks in episode two. But you're right, Joseph. We we still had those questions. Even I had the four, five, and six. I'm like, well, okay, all right. It challenged me to go, remember slow down you learned that in episode two slow down and i thought it was a big risk and it really worked absolutely it was serial adventure but still a slow burn which was made yeah. it really different and special yeah you know like a slow roasted bob dylan tune i always say. <laughs> um we then uh jump ahead here a little bit to uh, carl weathers and we're gonna put a pin in him for sure but carl weathers talked about uh actors you know, I thought I only back it up even a little bit more there. He talked about when he got the script and he, when he was was handed, you know, of course he's going to read it. He's, you know, he wants to work with Favreau. It's Star Wars. It's great. But he, hey, I got to be careful because he says an actor is essentially endorsing the worldview and, and the statement. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit of, of the writers and directors. And he read it and was like, yep. I'm on board. And we also learned a little bit later that grief is set to die in the early drafts of the story. That's great. But grief cargus stayed alive. So I got to ask you this on that powerful statement, which I, I do believe is very true. What do we think weathers and the character of grief brought to the story with this uh, kind of endorsement of Favreau's statement? And maybe what is that statement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 
I, I did want to just say to, to start with this that I, I really appreciate hearing an actor say that because I've, I have had that debate with uh, actors I've worked with in mostly in theater stuff about this difference of opinion about whether or not an actor's job is to just say, I go in and I play my part. I know my scenes. I'm a cog in the larger story and mm. knowing the rest of the story is unneeded or maybe even a distraction. Mm. And as a writer and a director, I always felt like, well, okay, I'll, I'll respect that. Cause I've had some actors just straight up say that to me of like, uh, mm. no, no disrespect, but I don't care what you're trying to say. I just want to do my part. Mm. Uh, and I have always felt like you add more to the whole by being aware of how your part affects the whole and maybe for some actors that doesn't work, but to just see Carl Weathers, this guy who I already uh, respect, but but sometimes can be pushed into like, yeah, he's kind of old school action hero, 80s guy, you know, to see him defy any of that stereotype and say, like, I want to choose what I'm saying and I want to know exactly how I'm contributing to what is being said. Just that by itself, like made me sit up straight and go, oh, this is something I'm really interested in um, and yeah. really kind of personally agree with. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I don't, I don't say that's an old school actor, but I'm, I, he is an actor. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that to me was like, oh, that's an artist. That's an artist who just happened to also be uh, Apollo Creed and in the predator. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, in terms of him talking about literally like, well, that's all, that's all great philosophy, but then how do you, uh, actually land that? And he started talking about, well, I, you know, knowing where this is going, I could play that in my scenes, early scenes with uh, Mando. Right, and right. I, I think like what we what we see, what that arc is, a part of what that story is that uh, Grief Karga is helping to tell us is Grief Karga is kind of the one who tells us who the Mandalorian is and how the Mandalorian. We get to see the Mandalorian go about his business, especially in chapter one. But it's only when he starts meeting up with Grief where Grief sort of lays down. Here's how the rest of the world sees you. Here's how you are a cog in the machinery of the reality of the galaxy. And grief really sets up that not only can the Mandalorian not change or shouldn't change, but that the world is something to be accepted the way it is. What are you going to do? This is the way the guild works. This is the way the galaxy is now that the Empire is gone. Uh, grief has this spark of life, but he has the, also this perspective that we are locked into our fates and it dovetails into what you and I have talked about a lot. What's in that, uh, Quill reprogramming IG 11 of you can change your programming personally, but also you can change, you have power and you can affect the world around you. And that's what happens to grief. Grief is just, he has accepted that he is caught up in the machinery. Uh, and then he accepts that he can make a difference. He, changes yeah. his attitude toward Mandalorian. He uh, changes his attitude toward the child. By the end, he's basically kind of saying, well, maybe the guild can work differently now. And it's this idea of we can change and through our actions, we can change the world. Yeah, great stuff. I, I, I'm thinking of the moment too, where he's the one kind of challenging uh, the Mando. Like, hey, what are you going to do? Go, go, go to the, report this to the new Republic? Yeah, That's the old government. Like, what are you going to do? It's a joke. And they both have that kind of opinion. That kind of starts there. Yeah. Where it ends up um, uh, you, with him, you, you know, the, the, the child healing him and him going against just I, I don't even because, again, knowing where now seeing and you, you could see that going into it. He's, he's an actor. But like knowing how he's playing it, it isn't to me like he is um, he, he isn't a pure bad guy uh, that we know he even talks about 
you know, you could, you could play a character as a, a presented as antagonist, but, uh, you know, I, I, it works for me on this different level too, where he's like, I'm just surviving and I trust myself and it's the only thing I know. And I got to stick with what it is. And change could really upset your apple cart. You know what I mean? It's a lot of times what we hold on the change. And so for him to have the, 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 the change around the child and it's not just business, it's not just this, it's not just done for his own survival and, and, and to do something that might cost him everything. I, I, it, it's played very well. It's and it's played from a point of view of this character that does, as they describe, fill a room because Carl Weathers fills a room, and he is for a lot of us Apollo Creed or a muscle bound predator guy fighting the predator. You know, like he is that, and to 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 move beyond that, I loved it. It's part of the statement. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's so many beats with uh, with grief where he is convinced that the world is the way it is. Even in chapter three, when you know he thinks that Mandalorian, there's no way out. Uh, what are you doing, Mando? And then all these Mandalorians come out of nowhere, like, mm -hmm. and he's just awakened to, I am not as correct about the world as I might think I am. Yeah, there you go. And hey, I love, I love that they just kind of were like, oh yeah, he can't die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of that is the performer you know it, it's not just uh we need this character to stick around you get someone in those parts you know, I, I go to oscar isaac and poe dameron and that that thing of like there's no way you're writing him out once you get him there once you kind of see it all click so smart change smart change all right i i gotta go to some random speculation here because at this point there's this little clip with Bryce Dallas Howard and, and I just can't move away from this Joseph and, and, and the show we, we hear like diving into some of the bigger, deeper themes, obviously, but Bryce Dallas Howard says, as far as our Mandalorian is aware, you can't take off your Mando mask and he subscribes to this. All right. Big hand at Canon revelations to come or just me with my conspiracy tinfoil hat on. What do you oh, think? no, no. Uh, Ken, if you have a tinfoil hat, then they should be handed out to everyone viewing this episode of uh, Disney Gallery. Uh, no, th we've talked a lot about this uh, show being made not as a propaganda, but being aware that they are communicating to fans and that there is yeah. a sort of a, a meta element to it. Uh, and this was the part of the episode that felt like press release to me to, to clarify yeah this is the way we're approaching it as creators, whatever else is going on behind the scenes. If it's that Favreau wanted it to be this way and it doesn't match up with other Mandalorian stuff. And we're just like, Hey, whatever uh, to me, I didn't take it as hinting that this is going to come into play. Uh, partially because there was that interview with Filoni a little while ago where he was saying, well, you know, it'll come up if it comes up in the story, you know, Mandal maybe Mandalorians believe different things and it'll come up in the story if it needs to. Uh, I really, it, it, it feels to me that it is only going to come up if there is a narrative or thematic reason. Otherwise it's just going to be, Hey, this is the way we're telling the story. And this is fun headcanon. This is fun imagination for you. Why does our Mandalorian believe that? Why does the armorer believe that? Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, look, with some of the rumors uh, of, of recent cast, you're going to have, Possi the possibility of it really coming up in a big way, but uh, I I love the the Dave answer. If we get there, we get there. If we need to get there, we'll get there. Uh, but I don't know. It just it just made me perk up in that fun way because I still do love those canon connections. I still do love the proper information. And this is a this is a divide right now that we might not get the answer, but I'm I'm curious to see how the show would answer that because it's answered everything else on these deep thematic philosophical uh, levels, it's answered it so well. I'm, I'm yeah. Kind of excited. 
in a way, you know, and it made me really happy to hear not only just to hear the because obviously Bryce Dallas Howard's, you know, episode chapter four really dealt with that. So, of course, she has had conversations in perspective. But I was honestly just the way she phrased that to me, mm-hmm. I would be happy for more canon answer. But in a way, that's plenty of canon for me. That's what's true for yeah. this Mandalorian. That's what's yeah. true for this uh, group of Mandalorians right now for some reason. And to me, I, I don't need n- the Mandalorians to be a monolith. Mo- most of the storytelling in the Clone Wars in the Rebels is that different Mandalorians can't agree on things. So I'm really yeah. fine with uh, they went through some kind of trauma. They had some yeah. different attitude because he was a foundling. Whatever the kind of canon answer might be, the heart of it, for me, what matters is in what Bryce Dallas Howard said. As far yeah. as our Mandalorian is, is aware, he subscribes to this. I want a great scene in season two where uh, Bo-Katan shows up. She, she takes her mask off and then he keeps his mask on. And then on the count of three, they both go, this is the way. And <laughs> what, what rock, paper, scissors, <laughs> have it your way, have it your way. Uh, so obviously uh, this gets it with cast and, and Pedro being there. There was this kind of big kind of question hanger hanging over, at least for me watching this going in like, uh Oh, okay. Are we going to address some of the bigger stuff in the room? Pedro not being in the uh, and in in the mask, the character, the lead character being a mask. Some of those choices, and I thought they they handled it pretty pretty well. So there was a lot of talk about the challenge to just tell this story. And you mentioned earlier, Joseph, with the lead character behind a mask. So let's not let's just take the technicalities or the IMDb cast listings out. Of it. Don't <laughs> worry about that. Regardless, they made that choice, Joseph, to tell this story. With a, a mask that has, by design, no expression or, or very little. A little bit of a, as I said, the Clint Eastwood uh, uh, hat uh, brim kind of thing I thought was interesting, the, the literal the gunfighter trope. Um, and this goes into some stuff uh, Deborah Chow uh, talked about, but what do, you, what do you think just about that choice, Joseph, especially now looking back after the first season? I think it's uh, great because the show is, it doesn't happen to star somebody who can't take off a mask. It is about wearing a mask it is about mm-hmm. is armor uh strength or is it a weakness and all of those kinds of questions and then on just a really practical level it is a story uh the way the story is told the mask is always present the mask is always a part of i i think what's going on and and you know deborah chow talked about you know the actors being really still so when they moved it it had a an impact and that was a great technical thing to me but i feel like when i break down the scenes in my mind either the mando is using the fact that he is masked and unknowable to intimidate people or to say you can't know me so it feels present in the scene it feels purposeful in the scene or we've been given some clue by his voice or very clearly by the situation so we can absolutely guess what's going on in there you know when he's looking back and forth at the the knob that the child has taken off there's no ambiguity about what he's feeling because of the situation Mm -hmm. and yet there are other scenes where he does not want to know what people are thinking. And I, I think it's constructed so we always have an entry point to the Mandalorian. Either he is choosing, I don't want you to know what I'm thinking, or some crack has appeared in his emotional armor based on his voice or his situation where we know exactly what he's wrestling with. 
Yeah, I, you know, going from this, um, we always talk about Favreau and his action figures and the Boba Fett myth. And, and he does, when he starts, when they go into this little section, Favreau talks about Boba Fett, obviously. He talks about what George had built with Boba Fett and where George was drawn upon. And that, that clearly inspired him and, and asked the question, what's behind the mask? Uh, and, and to get a clean slate where it's not Boba Fett, at least yet, but it's a new character and asking that question. I, I, I so agree with that choice. But to, for me to even hear Deborah Chow, like you said, uh, this, this real technical tactic of, of the stillness of the character and, and, and how that just makes the explosions of any other movement he has, big or small, just that much more effective. Exactly what you're saying, just that, that, that we get to see almost when the Mando himself chooses, like you just said. And that that ended up working for me more than I would have thought. And I admit, you you know, I got caught up a little bit on some of the news behind it. I really oh, did. Yeah. I was really kind of upset at times about the they're they're marketing something that's not there. This great performer who's not there, um, you know, which by the way does not take away from the performance we soon learn learn about. Um, so I got caught up with it, and then now it, it's good for me to go and kind of reflect on the choice behind it and how they executed that choice. And I like it a lot more. Yeah, no, I mean, we saw that footage at Celebration that was mostly, I mean, there was some cool bang whiz fighting that we got to see. But in terms of Mando being a character, it was mostly just one of those early conversations with the client. And I remember being concerned that the voice sounded cool, but it sounded a little muffled. And would the charm and charisma and power of Pedro Pascal come through. And I, I was kind of nervous uh, as a fan for a long time until the actual episodes aired. And I think I was so relieved to see how much of who the character is comes through the voice and all of the physical choices by the actors and directors. Yeah. And they, they, they did a great job putting it all together. And uh, Gina Carano said something a little bit later on when they asked her, you know, like, could you tell? And it's like, well, I could, but it's like that all kind of adds up. And, and I think that's that's a, a uh, uh, that's a, that's to be celebrated uh, and, and uh, a success on all of them kind of putting this together under the circumstances and under the choices of when Pedro was cast and why budgetary reasons, all those kind of things that I could get caught up in. It doesn't matter now. Uh, it, it's about what's there. And it does work. And coming out of Celebration, I was more than concerned. I was like, it did not connect with me. It felt detached. I was too aware of it. Um, I, I don't have that now. In fact, I was blown away seeing Pedro in the booth, totally in it, totally acting, holding that pillow. And I'm thinking, yeah, that it, 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 all, it all works. Now, I hope, I hope Pedro's in the outfit a lot more in season two, only just because... I think there, this is to me was, uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, Grace and I were watching this has jumped out to us. There was a beat where, where, where they edited it almost like it seemed like they edited around Carl Weathers being like, it was really hard to perform with you not there <laughs> and trying to, uh, you know, he, he said, he goes to the eyes. He talks about the eyes and there was a little read Pedro's face of like, Oh, is he going to, is he going to talk about this? Um, I just thought I took that from Carl a little bit of just like, you know, that was, that was a challenge. That was a challenge, not just about the mask, but not having, you know, imagine not having Adam driver uh, under that mask and color. And you could tell the difference if you're on set. So I don't know, to me, that was, it, it's an interesting topic. I know a lot of, there's a lot of opinions of it. I just think this episode, they did a good job of making me go down this path of uh, this, the, 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 the sum is, is greater than the parts for me. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was some delicious ambiguity there for <laughs> me, uh, 
I loved, I loved that they were much more clear about here. Yes, of course, it wasn't Pedro for the vast majority of the time. And they're still not saying, except for the one scene where we absolutely know it's Pedro. We're, they're yeah. still not saying, was this one shot in the booth? Was that Pedro? I, I love that they are giving full credit and full acknowledgement to the majority of this were, were these two uh, stunt uh, actors who yeah. specialize in specific things that are needed that Pedro wouldn't have done probably if they hired him on day one. Um, yeah, but there's that that specifically with uh, Carl Weathers saying I relied on the voice, mm. and then I I feel like th- this episode left some ambiguity for me where it felt like there was one scene where we saw Pedro clearly looking at some footage, yeah, but was that a uh, test footage? Uh, when Carl Weathers talks about relying on the voice, does that mean that? they already had uh, Pedro in the can and they were playing his voice back for him? Or was that Carl Weathers, like you were saying, you you and Grace maybe observing, starting to go like, so it was a real bummer that you weren't on set saying the lines because I rely on the voice, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, ambiguous indeed. I still go with the second one there. Yeah, but but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was fun. I mean, because it was almost tense. I was almost tense watching it. Like, how are they going to, how are they going to dance around this? And And Pedro... You know, again, that's an actor's actor, too. So um, it all came together. So you know, part together. of it is just like for me, yeah. like, well, curiosity about the process of how much was yeah. before, how much was after. But it worked. It worked. And they got and they focused. You got to see we've seen it before, but we got to really just here on on, on Disney programming. See Brendan Wayne, uh, grandson of John Wayne and Latif Crowder, who brought two very different styles and approaches and skill sets. And even though I, I I was more focused on Brendan Wayne going into this only because full disclosure, I had two people who were friends with him and they had told me, no, my friend Brendan's in there <laughs> and it threw me for a loop. Uh, but now to see Latif Crowder and the fight scenes, that all makes sense. And that even for them as, as, as stunt performers to bring their own skill sets into one character. Th- and, and that was really seamless looking back. I was really happy, like you said, that they got the they got their little moment in the sun here. I'd even be up for hearing an entire episode about those two guys. Yeah, I would. And who knows? They've been these episodes have been very great. Maybe one of these episodes will be uh, uh, meet the Mandos and they talk about it because I I think what what sells it is obviously uh, Brendan Wayne and, and Latif Crowder are great at the physical things they do. But knowing that it was probably one or the other of them in many scenes, there's a ton of emotional acting choices that are not about the guns or the fisticuffs. And that's where it all came together to, for me, the little slumps of shoulder, the turn of a head with the helmet on that is sometimes, ah, man, I got to face something I really don't want to versus I am turning my head to let you know, I'm about to kick your ass. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much acting in the subtle movements that obviously came from the directors that came from the script but I am wondering how much of it came from conversations with Pedro too, to say, here's, here's how I feel he is in the scene. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned the directors. I was going to say uh, what a testament to the directors having a clear picture with this characters and how to connect all those dots. I uh, think that, that that's, I, I'm thinking of those, some of those shots we saw in some of the earlier episodes of Bryce Dallas Howard kind of, directing them through the action of getting into that tent and everything they had to keep that in mind. And that's hard. Cause again, this isn't just, you know, clearly stunt performers are very important to the, to the productions here of, of TV shows and films. Clearly um, this is something that I've always taken as a little 
different. You know what I mean? This isn't of uh, Tom Cruise is going to hang from the side of a space rocket so we can get the shot of his face and it's more authentic. <laughs> this is they all three of them, all these parts had to be put into one character almost equally. And that was I really now think more think about it. Really look at the directors on set having that big vision and putting it together. Uh, I really like how, how that, that worked out for them. Yeah, to me, this process seems almost more close to animation than an actor in their stunt doubles uh, yep. because it had to be a team of people, you know, writers, directors, actors, Pedro, uh, all making these decisions cohesively and building this character together. That's a great, that's a great example of the animation side of it. Yeah, you're putting um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of hands are in that uh, that Simran stew. <laughs> you got yourself a Mando stew. You got yourself a Mando stew. All right. Uh, anything uh, that I left out in this beginning section, Joseph? Otherwise, we'll take a break. I I, I rambled all over the map of our notes, so I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, we we got plenty more great stuff to talk about. So I'm happy to to hold off. Minimal movement, like the Mandalorian, and I'll strike when necessary. Like a snake, a podcast snake. We're going to take a quick break here on the Mandalorian Report. On the other side, Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, and his shirt. Stick around. We'll be right back. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Force Center fans, don't forget, Force Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you, and more shows on the way. It's Force Center on YouTube. Check it out. Welcome back to The Mandalorian Report, Episode 11. We had eight episodes looking at the show, and now this wonderful behind-the-scenes series. What is it, Joseph? Disney Gallery, colon, Iger, colon, Mandal, colon, Lucas. <laughs> yep, it's Bob Talks. Bob's not there Bob. yet. I, uh, the thumbnails of the show itself are really interesting on Disney+. Plus. There's a, it's, There's a lot going on. It's a lot going on. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The the big banner of uh, Deborah Chow in the cockpit of the Razor Crest. Very thrilling. Very thrilling. Mm-hmm. We are taking a closer look at the episode cast. And the focus, obviously, is uh, on the cast. And we got to spend some time now with Gina Carano. A lot of uh, revelations. A lot of them that made complete sense. And... I want to start with this point here, Joseph. Uh, Gina Carano was handpicked for the role of, of uh, Cara Cynthia Dune. Uh, th- that uh, Favreau and others, uh, they mentioned the connection with Soderbergh, uh, her being plucked from the UFC cage into Haywire back in the day. Uh, so they just, uh, John just kept talking a lot about, I know, I go with my gut. I just knew. I just knew. What do you think about even just that side of it, Joseph? I really liked it. It, it made it... Uh, it was really interesting to me to see uh, see Favreau talking about casting like that. Uh, I'm a big David Lynch fan, and he very famously does not have people audition. He just has them come in, and he has a you know weird random conversation with them in his office, and that's his casting. Um, so I, I liked hearing that there was this bit of very um, Star Wars appropriate intuition, but it also made me feel like uh, that Favreau was doing that kind of casting of I I want this character is somebody who who's really wrapped up in, in their physical identity as well as their emotional identity. And I want somebody who can understand that. Totally. He, he, he talked a lot about the old style of Hollywood and, and uh, George uh, kind of tapping into, you know, that's a, almost a star Wars thing of just George was, was making the films of his youth, not just the flash Gordon thirties thing, but just 
they had real cowboys and real rope slingers and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like John saying that because they talked a lot about, hey, she actually has thrown a punch. She's taken a punch. She knows that, which uh, Pedro had some great lines about. Can we talk about the nerds getting the role? Um, <laughs> beyond that, beyond that, I really love what you're saying, Joseph, because I, I think, again, maybe whether he knew it or not. And, and that's Favre's just saying, I'm going with my gut. And that could cover a lot of the casting. It wasn't just, let's go find a fighter. Let's go find, um, you know, Ronda Rousey, uh, even even more recently famous, and then a post uh, MMA career moves into WWE and goes a different direction. There's someone, and, and and is now starting a family and has made that choice to leave wrestling to do that. There's someone who maybe knows a little bit more. Gina Carano was, and I and I definitely followed MMA a little bit more back then than I do now. I mean, she was the biggest uh, female fighter at the time. She was a trailblazer. She was this, and then your career, boom, it's gone, and, and a flash of a punch sometimes, and she was kind of cast out, and it seems like she had gone through this, and suddenly she's acting, and 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 she's always been, and there's been times, I'll admit, I've been, especially on the other show I, I used to do, uh, I, very, you know, hey, she's not a great actor, right, is something I would say, and I... I've loved, loved watching her grow into this role. And now, Joseph, it makes sense is what I really want to talk about. You you, you mentioned here uh, uh, this. This was her, not just the fight, but the search. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on your your notes here, you have uh, about that moment where where it feels oh, like yeah. Gina Carano was trying to figure out how to say what what mm-hmm. Soderbergh saw in her, what Favreau saw in her and. Uh, Pedro very kindly offers a little piece of her soul, uh, which that was, it's about the show, but it's also about those dynamics between those actors and they, that kindness of Pedro trying to not finish her thought in a condescending way, but say, Mm -hmm. this is what I I hear you saying and her saying, thank you. That was just a beautiful moment of, of making it feel like these actors are really talking that this was a truthful conversation. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm gonna yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Thank you for uh, for making me refer back to my own notes. Number one, <laughs> Dude, the way they they chose to edit that, there's a if you go back and watch it, it, it is over her shoulder. She starts to kind of like you said, stumbled and uh, just searching for what it meant to her, searching for what it was was going on. And he's watching her again. That's what actors do. They watch, they observe, um, and he is he's feeling it. He's getting it. And so that's why it was even more of a more powerful moment. He's he, he's watching it. He knew and he got it. And I love her reaction. Just a very quiet. Thank you for that. Yes. Not thank you just, for that. Thank you for that. What what do you think was the soul of Cara Dune? Yeah, I think this made me uh, I think I would have had this opinion anyway, just from watching the show. But I think this made me appreciate it even more that obviously Cara Dune is a conflicted person. But I think this made it come out even more that it was this idea that that Cara Dune is a character who definitely has an internal life, but also she is a little bit more connected to her body, to to the physical world and to the sort of thrill of being alive. Or maybe there's some anger in her that can only come out through action uh, in this idea that Cara Dune is somebody who understands herself and understands that balance between being invested in, you know, uh, the crude matter and the luminous being to put it in star Wars terms. Um, but doesn't fit in anywhere. And and like, it feels like she knows who she is, Mm. that she is a person of soul, but also a person of action and can't find a briefly that worked for the galactic civil war, but then it didn't. And now she knows who she is, but she doesn't fit in anywhere anymore. And that that's what this bond is with Mandalorian. It's kind of 
helping her find a place where she makes sense. Yeah, great stuff. Because going into this, and I remember back in Chicago, and, and you were bringing this up on some of our early actions. Uh, you know, all right. So she's an ex-rebel soldier. She's an ex-shock trooper, and we we were then having those conversations. Do you lead in the way, Joseph, of us saying like this show's going to be about identity and lost culture, found culture, and who you are? I love the way you're phrasing this. This isn't her just. All, just searching like, who am I? I love that you said she's like, I know who I am. Because Gina herself goes on to describe Cara Dune as being, I, I'm saying this is my, my use of my term, uh, this rebellious child of Alderaan. Yeah. We, 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 we are introduced very, we're, we're Alderaan is peaceful. We're peaceful people. What are you doing? And Bail Organa and everything. She's like, I was there and I wanted to fight. <laughs> I knew what I was. I love that you're focusing on that. Because then it's a different type of journey than uh, I don't I don't know where uh, I'm, I'm graduated college. What do I do? You know, it isn't that. And there's some deeper stuff of a former soldier and how do you how do you fit back in society after that? But I love that because there's that great scene and and when, when we're really introduced to her of like you know the war ended and I'm guarding dignitaries and stuff. Oh God, it's not what I signed up for. Yeah, um, in in the implication that she did something that crossed a line. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, I want that story. No. Um, and, and, and to see that, see what, what Gina Carano brings to the, you know, she was a fighter, a trained mixed martial arts fighter. Cause she wanted to be, she was great at it. Your career's going to end one way or another one day or another. And that's still her. And she doesn't, maybe she felt she had to walk away from it. Everything she's been in so far has been uh, a physical, you know, uh, Deadpool as well. Um, and that might continue to be the case for a while. We'll see, you know, uh, we'll see where, where I would love to see Cara Dune branch out. Not necessarily a romantic story, a love story or something like that, but just like, you know, branch out. But I, do, I also don't need it to because I, I love that. The, 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 I love this idea of like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I want to be good at. And how, do, how does that go? How does that work going forward in this peaceful time? I love that. Yeah, and uh, some of what Mando has wrestled with as well, of he is a Mandalorian, and to be a Mandalorian is to be both hunter and prey, as, as the armor has taught him. And yeah. now he finds this role, we're like, okay, but I don't want to be a hunter or prey, I just want to be a protector and a mentor, but that means leaving who I was behind. So it'll be really interesting to see if we get to that next step with Cara Dune, where she is examining wh why, why do I feel restless if I don't have some sort of thrill, some sort of physical engagement, you know? Yeah. And I, and I do like, there's the complexity that it isn't just like, uh, she likes to kick ass because we do get a little bit of that real world sense of PTSD, her fear of the ATSD and her fear of the stakes of like, mm. it's that she's drawn to this violence, this action, but it's not like in this sort of sociopath way. We're just like, yeah, flames everywhere. Now I'm happy. Yes. There's still like a humanity and a, a terror of the reality of war. Yeah, yeah, it, it you, great point. It's played so well. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's uh, there's rumors and innuendo that this character may be going on in its in her own kind of way outside the show and everything. I don't to me none of it's fact yet. Obviously, uh, we check StarWars.com every day for the real news updates. <laughs> uh, I think there's some legs there, and this is again as someone who has on camera, unfortunately can't be erased until I get the passwords. Um, I said, ah, you know, she's, she's not that great of an actor. By the way, Gina Carano is the first to say that. 
to the point where she said it enough to where now I think eventually she'll have to admit that that's not the case anymore. <laughs> it needs to grow because she has great, uh, great uh, people around her. She gave a lot of credit to Bryce Dallas Howard, helping her find the character early on. So some of those moments where maybe the technical craft of acting is a little rough. I, I will, it's, it's sorry. I'm rambling. Um, mm-hmm. It's similar. It's similar. Oh my God. I just thought of this uh, of, of George Lucas going, yeah, there's a, I could probably save some money on shots and scenes and setups, but that Jake Lloyd kid's got something that I just, I want to tap into. Um, and you know, we know, we know there were some moments that maybe don't play as well just on the, the base level acting, but he got something. And I was watching Phantom Menace this weekend with Grace and it's like, it's there. It shines through that Skywalker blood shines through Jake Lloyd's face. And, and so that's very similar to me just with what Favreau's doing here. And I'll take some moments because I do think there's some moments where she, she reads some lines a little, um, a little differently than maybe another actor would have, but wow, this journey of where this character might go is to me much more bigger because it comes from such a, a, a powerful center. I'm going to end there. Where, where would you, do you have any thoughts on this character where you'd like to see Cara Dune go from here? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I think figuring out more, you know, where she wants to belong and how that fits with, uh, her view, larger view of the galaxy. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Cause I, I admit, I, I think I focus more on her story as a, uh, an orphan of Alderaan, somebody who Mm -hmm. has lost something. And I do think that is a, a part of her, yeah. But I like this idea that, hey, before the horrific tragedy of my entire planet being destroyed and everyone I know dying, I also didn't fit in there. Um, and that the modern era of Doctor Who, uh, you know, modern era now going back, you know, uh, 15 years or so, uh, has really dealt a lot with that where the character of the Doctor never fit in in his home planet of Gallifrey. Uh, but it, but. It, it's not this is not a huge Doctor Who spoiler. It's the start mm. of the new era. It's Gallifrey isn't around anymore. Mm. It, it, there's a lot there. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doctor Who fans, I know my Doctor Who Lord, please don't correct me. I'm trying to keep it simple. Um, <laughs> that there's this great tension between my home is gone. I can't go back there. I can't go to the people I knew. And also I didn't fit in there when it was there. And what yeah. the hell do I do with those conflicting feelings to see that uh, that put through the character have Cara Dune wrestle with that in the Star Wars galaxy and have a different perspective uh, from Leia or some of the other characters we've met who simply just miss Alderaan because it was their home and they believed in it mm-hmm. uh, to have somebody who wrestles with what it means. And there it's just a, it's a different entry point to the tension the great tension of star wars that it is about wars but it believes in pacifism and how does that get expressed through the character of cara dune i I think those kinds of uh thematic ideas i'm interested in and i i I agree with everything you're saying about gina crano and and what gina crano says about gina crano but i to me the most important thing is there is this essential truth there that cara dune on screen feels like a little bit of this raw nerve where she Mm. It is on one hand very comfortable like i'm in this bar I, I beat some people up i make some money good enough and yet there's like this she's a raw nerve and something's not right you know and i just want to follow her on her journey of uh, how do you make that right for yourself yeah if, if i don't know not, for me is um 
I wonder if, if you could tap into even a little bit more. You could see it in this interview. And I, I think I've told some of the stories. Uh, when I flew back from Chicago this year uh, from Celebration, she was on my flight. And she oh, was right. Yeah, she was in line right next to me, um, exchanged, uh, you know, she, she had a very nice smile, you know, and I'm not, you know, not going to be like, Star Wars, you know, we're all <laughs> early in Chicago. A lot of us were delayed a day. We want to get out of town. She has much like, and it comes out in this particular episode. She is this big personality, even though she's so quiet. She is herself big. She's 5'8". Um, um, she is uh, of just a, a large personality. I'm not talking about weight or body size. I'm just talking about like she just fills that space, much like Carl Weathers. But you can tell she almost doesn't want to or she's long felt out of place, uh, knowing that that's when she walks in the room, she fills it but doesn't want to. And even when she sat on the plane in first class, uh, and she had this look of just like, smiling she made eye contact with everyone because you could tell everyone was like oh it's gina carano and she made a point to make but it was also kind of like this i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm here (laughs) if that makes any sense and i got some of this in the i got some of that in this interview of just like she stumbled to explain herself a little bit and and pedro comes in so beautifully and and she passes it moves it on to to carl she moves on to pedro i wonder if part of care do it is just discovering you are not you are not just a barroom fighter. You are so much more, and and you're gonna have to claim that because you know it's who you are. Uh, it's not just Han trying to be a good guy, even though he wants to be a scoundrel. It is like you're made for good things, and you have to go claim it and embrace it and accept that I am this big personality and presence. There might be something there for me there. I might be reading too far into a plane flight though. <laughs> I, I cannot speak to your plane fight, but I, yeah, I think there's absolutely some real world dynamics going on with the uh, Gina Carano as, as presented in this episode and, and as, as spoken by her that mm-hmm. I think have a great relationship with Cara Dune where it feels like both Gina Carano and, and Cara Dune because of their life experiences when they're in the ring, uh, so to speak, uh, either literally or metaphorically, mm-hmm. then, then they know what they're doing. They know how to stand up, do their job and fight for it. Uh, but there's also these sort of social realities of mm-hmm. with Cardoon, you get like that, like, uh, I know, I know who I am when I'm in a trench with other, uh, soldiers. I don't know who I am when I'm standing outside a door while some people bicker about politics. I, they don't want me here. I'm not invited in that room. Yeah. And there is a little sense, like even when she said to, to Favreau, like, you really get me. I mean, we've never even had dinner. <laughs> and then yeah. he's like, but, but we, we've spent so much time together. There's even a little bit, maybe if you want to read into it, like yeah. a, I, a thing that I think we all experience. I certainly do of I can be very confident in my skills, but then I do wrestle if I feel like I am in a place where I am not entirely welcome. And maybe that's true or maybe it's in my mind. But you can be very confident in who you are and your skills and still feel like, but how do I fit in this place? How would I fit in this room? Mm. Well said. Well said. The theme of this show. Um, well, <laughs> uh, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, had this great little moment. A lot of little great little moments with Bryce Dallas Howard swinging in this episode with some good comments. She referenced Kathleen Kennedy saying that Star Wars characters always have a silhouette. You can see them from a distance and you know who they are. Now, this is also, and Joseph, you've done a lot of work in animation. I've developed some animated shows that have hit walls of, uh, of uh, <laughs> business. Um, this is a very, very much a key to developing animated shows. Um, the silhouette test is something I, uh, I've heard for years now. So I loved hearing it here because I've never really thought about it in terms of Star Wars, but went, ah, 
Yes, that's so true. Yoda, the ears, Vader, capes, Luke, the hair, whatever, the buns of, of Leia's hair. <laughs> you know, it's all there. And, and it's it's like, oh, that starts to make sense. Uh, do you have any favorite uh, Star Wars silhouettes? What do you think about this silhouette idea in Star Wars? Yeah, it was it was really well told, and the the silhouette of uh, Cara Dune was awesome to see. I think yeah. because I focus on the costumes and the colors, that those are the things that are like the iconography of the characters to me. So to think about it as a silhouette was a fun new way to think about it. Um, it made me think of Ray, honestly. That with the profile of Ray with uh, that staff and those buns is uh, her little you know mini back the head buns are is absolutely unmistakable, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then BB-8. Strange, but, you know, (laughs) but true. Like, if you're a Star Wars fan or even a casual fan, if if you see a a larger circle and kind of a a smaller circle, you're like, it's (laughs) BB-8. Yeah, no, yeah. From Kylo's hunch, uh, uh, Poe Dameron's swag, all the way to the prequels. I mean, it's, 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 again, it's a simple technique, but I, I, I really... Really glad uh, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, mentioned that, and, and Kathleen Kennedy had that in mind, uh, and, and it makes a lot of sense. And I love, again, yeah, like you said, attaching it to uh, Gina Carano, uh, one of the ways that made uh, Cara Dune so, uh, you know, so uh, uh, memorable. And, and um, Favreau uh, did uh, talk about uh, Cara Dune being the kind of action figure he would have wanted as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. Which uh, man, I've been I've been ordering too many action figures, but uh, I think I think this episode has gotten me uh, clicking towards that uh, Cara Dune vintage figure. It's great. Uh, moving on, we got Carl Weathers. That's the topic, Joseph. Carl Weathers. <laughs> <laughs> what more can you say? No, there's a lot to say. Um, I do want to talk. I, uh, I I I am a fan of Carl Weathers because I think a child of um, Child of uh, the 80s, grew up in the 80s. I mean, how could you not? He is, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Rocky and I love Predator and I've mentioned those and a lot of other things. Yep, he's done a lot of things, but it's like, whoa, yeah, it's big. And then I'm th- I'm there. I'm not a huge uh, uh, um, Adam Sandler movie guy, but Happy Gilmore is one of my favorite comedies. And boom, <laughs> he shows up there and it's kind of this second kind of like, hey, remember Apollo Creed? He can do this. And then Arrested Development. You and I have mentioned that even in this episode. And I love the, the reemergence there. And so now here we are at this phase and I love that star Wars is what might be introducing him to an entire new generation or reintroducing him to those who grew up with them and had a different view of them. I, I really love similar to, I love how Mark Hamill got his day in the sun. Finally, after being kind of a standard by the fandom for years, Carrie Fisher got to come back and, and kind of uh, just be put in the focus and really have a lot of uh, respect quite frankly refound for her because a lot had lost it uh foolishly um i love all that i love that star wars can do that i love it that it's doing it for carl weathers yeah he deserves it and man uh to see that tee up of the carl weathers topic of gina crano expressing you know what it's like to be relatively new to the art of acting and then to be around this legend and uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the episode of her lauding all of these uh, wonderful, deserved compliments on him and wondering how is he going to respond? And then him just saying, well, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, what uh, else are you going to say to that? Um, but it, I, I love then just hearing the details of how he thought about uh, grief car guy love the comparison to uh, john houston and, and orson wells in particular 
um, that grief is somebody who kind of uh, has an element of theatricality to it. I remember us discussing, like, it definitely is there in those earlier episodes, but when he pops up with that long uh, informational hologram to Mando, yeah. And and he it's like he's he's strutting the stage. He's trodden the boards and doing a monologue, you know, give him a skull and he'll start a last poor Yorick. Like <laughs> I like that that is a part of the character because what a fun, different dimension to add to somebody who could either just be a person of, of violence or a person of just mm-hmm. nothing but grim doubt in the world. He could have been such a one note character and still fulfilled his role is head of the bounty hunter guild on Navarro. Uh, but instead you get this extra dimension of theatricality. Yeah. God. Yeah. You're making me think of something too. We touched upon a little bit of just what this show did in terms of being new and risks and, and why in the end, well, well, take it back. Why I wasn't super excited about this going in, even a couple years or so ago where, when it was announced and then how coming out of it, how much I liked it, how much more I like this show than I thought is I am not, I love a good bounty hunter. I love a good scum. I love the underworld. I can play it, but it, it's Star Wars. It doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. This is a, this is a personal kind of story. And so to, to take the Mando, which is essentially going, let's take Boba Fett from your youth and go beyond the mask. you you just said it, Joseph, you could have just had grief been the, I'm, I'm in charge of the bounty hunter guild and we are the bounty hunter guild and we do bad things and we grumble and we, you know, they took the time to, to approach it differently. And that's one of the things coming out of the show. I'm really a big fan of that. I just maybe hope they might've done going in. I wasn't here for the gritty shoot them up. Kinda. I love that. You guys know, I love the war. I love a good war. I love a good fight. I love pro wrestling. I've been in the ring myself. I love violence sometimes. Sometimes when it's on the screen, okay? Um, I can go for a good John Wick every now and then, but to, to get beyond it, uh, it's so Star Wars to get beyond it. You said Star Wars is a, is a movie about pacifism disguised as a war, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But um, anyways, my rant, now I'm rambling about weathers, Joseph. As, he, as you should. He deserves a good ramble. Yeah, and, and I, it is what we continue to reflect about The Mandalorian. You know, I, I grew up with a ton of storytelling in the 80s that I think was pushing back against a sort of canned sameness and a, and a mm-hmm. canned inauthentic optimism that you would find in sitcoms or, you know, the love boat. Nothing ever changes. Nothing's really at stake. And I think I grew up happy that every superhero uh, had a black costume, happy that Wolverine had claws where he ripped people apart, happy that Batman was a tortured, tortured weirdo who had an angry bat in his soul, Uh, the Dark Knight storytelling, all that stuff I grew up with, and I loved it, and I, I love that The Mandalorian does deliver... It's a hard world where you have to do awful things. And here's the dark, gritty, cool, can't believe he shot that guy that way. That's so awful. That's so cool. It delivers all that and has all the humanity and complexity. Really does. And and Carl gave insight into his approach to Grief Karga. Uh, He did not play him as an antagonist. And this, this circles a little bit back to what we were discussing earlier. But he says he did not play Grief as an antagonist, but built him around his flaws and the flaws that led him astray. And he described Grief as someone who is tempted. So, 
simple. Just to, that is boiling it down, tempted. And what do you think about this philosophy? What did it add to this Star Wars underworld setting to kind of build on what we've been talking about here? I think it really highlighted um, this uh, a thing that I we end up discussing a lot. Uh, I think because of some of the storytelling in the prequel and sequel trilogy, uh, I think the term chosen one who has power through blood uh, that it can make some of the morals about Star Wars be perceived uh, as being about the story is just about the people who've been gifted power through heredity um and i don't think that's ever been the case uh we talk about how in a new hope it's han solo's moral journey too luke can make the shot but he can't get the opportunity to make the shot unless this scoundrel this smuggler uh has this change of heart and i feel like grief is another great great example of that and in particular with carl weathers understanding of the star with mythos talking about how there are lessons in empire strikes back that i needed to hear when i was 20 but i right. paid no attention in the fact that that carl weathers even describes he is tempted by the dark side mm-hmm. and that idea that the story of star wars isn't just hey if you're born a super powerful skywalker or palpatine or whatever uh you are tempted to this magical dark side Every bit of advice that Yoda gives Luke in Empire Strikes Back uh, can apply to every one of us. Is the dark side more powerful and, you know, quicker, easier, more seductive, you know, faster to join you in a fight? That's true uh, for super powerful Luke Skywalker. And that's true when you're on Twitter. And it's true for Grief Karga, where he could just say, I could just ignore that Mando seems to be doing the right thing. And I could just be about money. Mm. That's quicker and easier but is it right and that those those core ideas of star wars uh, are are not reserved for anybody based on their blood or their power they're about everybody mm. yeah applauding i'm applauding for what you <laughs> it works and 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 how i again look at the star wars underworld setting i i am fascinated by it i i'm like fa- i want a, a java i want that guillermo del toro joked about uh a java godfather picture i want it <laughs> because i want to know more about java i want to know more about what what's in it and and his his loyalties his his loves his losses you know i'm kind of the clone wars movie and showing him getting upset about his son and everything like that's an interesting side of java so all that ties into me when you just talk about star wars underworld and again, don't, talking personally, but why was like, eh, all right, yeah, I'm going to watch the Mando. I'm very excited, but I'm looking towards other things coming down the line in Star Wars and how I am now really excited more about Mando 2 than I would have thought because of stuff like this simple choice. It's so simple, but it can be convoluted and, and messed up and played wrong of just grief is tempted, tempted. And what you said, Joseph, there's no dark capes and red lightsabers in the temptation. Uh, yeah. Just the choice to do. Less than better. Yeah. Anybody can fall to the dark side. And I love uh, that the story is told with grief. I was thinking about just all of the different kind of beats that he has. And he certainly plays, you know, scary, angry, sure of himself, bad guy. But he also, he plays fear. He plays greed. He plays Mm -hmm. guilt. He plays hubris. You know, those beats when the, with the child where he, he has revelations. It's all so human. It's not, uh, do I go, uh, you know, upstairs to the light or downstairs to the evil? It's all of these human emotions that add up to what is the temptation and, and what 
could rescue you from that temptation. Yeah, and speaking of humans, they talked about the decision to change Weathers' character from a masked alien, uh, and perhaps, you know, would have been CGI, whatever, but just an alien character, and they couldn't. Once they got him there, once they uh, saw him uh, uh, reading lines and hearing his voice, they talked a lot about his voice, and this is just, you know, Carl is this presence. Uh, they made a decision to make Grief Cargo humanoid in the Star Wars world, and Carl said this, hey, you got the name. Why not? Have the face. Now, that's interesting because he's sitting across from, from Pedro and everyone's like, they got Pedro Pascal, but they didn't get the face. They didn't even really get him. So I want to take that aside, though. I don't want to go down that route, though. I want to kind of close up this conversation, Joseph, uh, about the story of Mando, what we got so far, these cultures, the Mandalorian culture. Um, he, he does tell Pedro, look, you eventually have to take the mask off. You, you, and they're talking about the scene he was in. So taking those star power factor conversation side, do you, do you feel the story needs to get to the point where we see Mando's face more? And I'm not talking about canon answers. Do we want to see and can this story move forward of, of him finding I can't take the mask off or do we, how do we deal with that going forward? How, how, how would you deal with it as a storyteller? This has is, this is, uh, been on my mind a lot for season two. Yeah, no, I mean, going going back to our early conversations and our reaction to seeing the footage at Celebration, some of which was really thrilling and other stuff was, I was like, I get, get that mask off and give me some Pedro Pascal, yeah. um, that I wanted that. And then as soon as the show started and I realized, no, no, this is what it is about, is that mask being on, that I, I think I cared a little bit less just from the perspective of this is percentages I want as a viewer. It should be a 40% Pedro with the helmet off. Like all that went away for me personally. So now that the story is, this is his belief system. And he's still in this place where he's deciding, I think for himself, is that mask, uh, the mask of a Mandalorian, the code of a Mandalorian, is that a symbol of strength and hope? Or is it keeping him back from something else that he wants? Mm -hmm. So I only want to see him out of that helmet. If it is, absolutely needed and absolutely earned i feel like to really directly answer your question about storytelling i feel like some potentials that jump to my mind are things like he comes to a new code and that mask is for the public but that mask isn't for his family and maybe there's a point where the child can see his face because they are family and that's a new part of the way that the Mandalorian sees his identity and sees the world. Or is it a, a sort of uh, Iron Man story where he decides that, that the Mando is me. Uh, uh, the, the armor is not the Mando. It, it's me. And he comes mm -hmm. to that realization or he really decides that, you know, a part of what the legacy is, is yeah. being hunter and prey. And I'm very happy for that life, but I don't need it anymore. So a part of me yeah. feels like, when he truly puts the helmet aside outside of situational events, is that the end of his journey because he's not the Mandalorian anymore? Yeah. Or he turns to the camera and says, Bruce Wayne is the real mask. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. No, I, you earned. Earned is, is how I, uh, what I'm thinking about. Because I don't necessarily have the answer, but a lot of things, especially with some of the rumored characters showing up, and as the story gets bigger, and there's maybe some characters that show up that are just by the nature of who they are, or at least who they were in other uh, Star Wars programming, uh, that we, that they seem to be at odds with his philosophy, or, or at least have a different 
philosophy, not necessarily at odds of just him going, Hey, I, I know who I am. I can take the mask off and still be that. Or no, I know who I am and I'm sticking with it. Uh, it's interesting, wonderful questions. And then Favreau does kind of say, hey, is one of his final comments to say, whoever is in there just has to be an actor. And that that's just a general, this is a cast episode. Um, look, it's, you know, Anthony Daniels is is an actor in there. That, that it, Kenny Baker's are too. These, these, I, I'm, I, I, I take it as Favreau's comment, kind of like that kind of approach. Just say, as long as you have an actor in there, the, the story is going to be told from their face. And we talk often about Anthony Daniels and C-3PO's lifeless face has so much emotion because it comes from him. So, um, but yeah, uh, going forward, it's a big question. Is this, you know, show spins into bigger areas, spins not necessarily out of control, but spins to bigger Star Wars storytelling. What will be this story about the Mandalorian? What will what will his story be going forward? Big yeah. Question. And you, you make a really good point if all of the various uh, rumors and reporting are true. And we have different aspects of what it is to be a Mandalorian, possibly in Boba Fett, possibly in Bo-Katan, that, you know, that's an interesting scene to imagine if there, if our Mando is faced with other Mandalorians who say, "Yeah, that your way isn't our way," and I can take my helmet off, and I'm still a Mandalorian, and yeah. kind of pitch it to him as a kind of weakness that he can't, how would our Mandalorian respond to that? That then it becomes about the storytelling in the moment. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> again, this is the way. This is your way. This is my way. Uh, deep stuff. <laughs> That's the highway. Yeah, uh, deep stuff, big stuff here this episode. But I got to ask you perhaps the most important question of all, Joseph, as we wrap up here. How disappointed were you <laughs> this episode's thumbnail had Warner Herzog in it, but he wasn't in this episode at all? Uh, very, uh, very, very. Uh, no, I was, re- I was really expecting him. And then as soon as he wasn't there, I was like, that's fine. They're, they're concentrating on, you know, kind of the, the big three, uh, yeah. as it were that ended up in the, in the, in the arc of the first season. And I really, it, it, it made me hope that there is an episode that just is yes the, the client and, uh, Filoni and Favreau ask Werner Herzog one question. And then the rest is just a slow camera zoom in on his face as he <laughs> talks for a half an hour answering one question. Oh yes. Yes. Same thought. Same thought. I'm like, Oh, we're just going to get episode seven. Herzog. <laughs> be great. I hope, I hope to God there's some behind the scenes footage. Someone caught on a cell phone somewhere of, uh, Herzog calling them cowards for not, uh, you know, for not uh, doing uh, the child dog. Completely oh, it, please. You know? Yes. It's absolutely needed. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see going forward. I'm looking forward to these episodes. I really, really enjoy this show. It's been a lot of fun. Any final thoughts on today's, uh, episode and discussion, Joseph? Yeah, the final thing I wanted to mention that was uh, really fun, I think uh, I think we hooked into some of the, the uh, moments from the show that brought in bigger depth, but just in terms of a fun Hollywood story, the story of Pedro Pascal smashing his nose and having to go to the hospital when he was already made up bloody, and just how much it's going to add to that scene. I remember watching the scene and seeing that big cut on his nose and going, damn, that's that's some graphic, gross, good, and like, oh, no. That's for real. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just have to have Gina Carano go, wow, they really did a great job with that makeup. Yeah, uh, that was what a great just uh, Hollywood story of and I love the humor with which uh, Pedro Pascal tells that story of like, I've been shooting in places I shouldn't be. And if I fall off, I'm just going to die. And I just walked into plywood because I was looking at my lines. It's hilarious. <laughs> Couldn't get out. Yeah, it was a great moment. I love too. I love too how was how Favre's moving on, and then Dave's like, "Whoa, hey, 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 what about that story? What about that story?" <laughs> great stuff. And off yeah. the show, just it's a great shared uh, communal experience of of making this project, and that they all bring that love to it, and that's why part of the uh, part of these episodes are really. Uh, part of the reason these episodes are really working there. So we are uh, almost out of here. Thank you all for listening to the Mandalorian report. If you have any thoughts on this episode or just want to uh, stay in touch with us, you can uh, reach out on Twitter, follow us at four center pod, like our Facebook page or on Instagram. We are on, uh, on YouTube past weekend. A new in memoriam is up about captain Kennedy. we got a new uh, star Wars show and tell coming uh, next weekend. Like subscribe, do all those things, hit the bell, you know, the YouTube uh, drill podcast, <laughs> a lot of different spots. Just search. If it's not there on your favorite uh, podcast catcher or uh, you know, a bucket of podcast spots, just let us know. We'll try to get the podcast over there as well. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash force center. Your support does work. In fact, this coming week, new Theme music to Star Wars ranked from the great Tony Thaxton. And that happened because of all of your support out there. So we appreciate that. Uh, Joseph, uh, we are uh, plucking along with a lot of cool things uh, as much as we can do from our homes. So anything coming for you and where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can uh, check out all of my other various comedy adventures, comedy albums, book, uh, my other podcast, Obsessed, all on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack. Uh, coming so close, so close to be, uh, finally launching uh, the f- uh, baseball podcast feed, Box Score Heroes. Find out information again on catnapsock.com. That is it for now. This is the way. It's your way. It's my way. It's the Manda's way. We'll see you next week on the Mandalorian Report. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.